Hey, it's Kathy with Rocky Retirement. And as promised, today's Friday, and so you'll be getting to listen to Henry Shapiro's Retired Excited. I know you're just going to love this as much as I do. And don't forget, you can still listen to Rock Your Retirement, where I'm the host, and those shows are released on Mondays. Welcome to the Retired Excited Podcast. Retired Excited, the show where we give retired and want-to-be-retired folk a look at how great retired life can be. Here we talk to men and women who are happily retired and loving their life. We explore the techniques, activities, beliefs, and excitement of these happy retirees and examine how every Tom, Dick, and Mary can benefit from their experience. Together, we will delve into what retired happiness really looks like and how anyone can achieve it. Here is your host, Henry Shapiro. Hey folks, Henry here at Retired Excited, the show providing inspiration for people who are nearly retired, newly retired, or say they're never going to retire. If you're nearing retirement and fearful of what lies ahead, you don't need to be. If you're already retired and wondering how to fill your days, then this show is exactly for you. Here we talk to retired people doing things that make them happy. Things from stamp collecting to cruising, from dancing to touring the world on a motorbike. There's an exciting stage of life to be enjoyed after full-time work and it's got nothing to do with your financial situation or social position. We talk to everyday retired people who are living the life they want and we talk to a few professionals to get expert advice. And I chip in with some of my own experiences. Welcome everybody to another episode of Retired Excited. And this is going to be a fun episode as you'll hear. Today I'm at the home of Philip Jackson and Susan Anderson. Now Philip has retired maybe three years ago but he continues on doing some part-time work, and that's really a key to a lot of people who uh, have exciting and fulfilling uh, time after retirement. He's had a very responsible job in the past as a teacher, and he taught for 35 years. And then, as happens to lots of teachers, as he progressed through the uh, through the system, went on to more administration, which he didn't particularly like. Anyhow, he was looking forward to his retirement, and the nice thing about his retirement was he was able to do it on his own terms, and that is a big thing, and it's something for everybody, I think, to look at. It's better to retire than be retired, um, if that's at all possible. So now, he's got a couple of really interesting, and I'm going to call them hobbies, or fascinations, or you could really call them obsessions. Well, particularly one of them is an obsession, and they are genealogy and birding. He's a bird watcher, and bird watching has taken him to all parts of Australia. He lives in the in Victoria, right down in the south east corner of Australia, and has taken him round Australia, up to the very northern area, up to the very western area, thousands and thousands of kilometres. He's met lots and lots of fascinating people, and uh, he loves it, as you're going to hear. Perhaps it'd be better if I let Philip tell the story. 
So. Now you'll have to speak clearly because you know I'm a bit deaf. You're a bit deaf. <laughs> what? <laughs> speak up, Henry. <laughs> is that the, is that about as loud as you're going yeah, to that's, talk? Yeah, that's about it. Is that okay? That's fine. I just need to talk at more or less the same. Level. No worries. <laughs> Well, welcome listeners, here we are today at the home of Philip Jackson with 1L and Susan Anderson. Philip, where are we? In Ivanhoe, Victoria, Australia. Yeah. You're right, you got that <laughs> <Correct>. right. <laughs> and we're sitting in a magnificent room, the house is on a hillside, with a monster picture window overlooking gorgeous greenery. Fabulous view. Let's start, Philip. And you understand that this is a podcast about people who are nearly retired mm. or newly retired, ruffians and reprobates. Yes. So let's talk about before you retired, because you retired okay. fairly recently. Three years ago. Three years ago. But since so, then I've done a bit of work, so we can go through oh, that if you... You've just ruined, ruined that segue. Ruined it, yes. <laughs> So tell us what you were doing prior. Okay, well, what what's a, brought you up to retirement? Okay. Well, I was a teacher for 35 years, and like a lot of teachers over time, I got into more and more administration, less and less classroom, and then I finally retired, but actually went back into the classroom for, ran a program for a vocational work, a new program at the school I was at for 18 months, and then I decided when I was... 62, I think, 62, 63, that it was time to retire from full-time employment. So after that, I quit, retired, said farewell, but I, I continued to do emergency teaching, what we call CRT, casual relief teaching, and I still do that now occasionally. I use it to justify paying for things. <laughs> Excellent. So I set a target, like a a new set of binoculars that were very expensive right. for my bird watching, which I'm sure we shall come to. We shall. Because and then I can listener Silver has two passions in life, so the second one, after his wife and family, is bird watching. And we'll talk about that shortly. Sure. So just, uh, you said you had retired maybe three years ago. Yes. And you're now 62. Is there some magic in the education department about retiring at 59? No. The, but it, sorry. <laughs> you can, if you're in one of the superannuation schemes, a special superannuation scheme that doesn't exist anymore, you could retire before you were 55, if, you were, if that's what you're thinking of, and you'd get a lump sum payout and then you could go back teaching, which is what I did. Right. But then I went back teaching for another seven years after that, or went back to a school yeah. for seven years. I did administrative work and I was an assistant principal for some of that time. Um, but no, I could have stayed on right. for a bit longer, I yeah. think. But I decided that there were too many other things to get done. <laughs> too many right. birds to see. Right. Well, I was... So as you approached retirement, were yes. you happy about that? Was, was yes. that? You were looking forward to it? Yeah, I was looking forward to it because it was sort of on my terms. When I initially gave up administration, uh, when I was about 59, and I thought about retiring then at 60, but mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like it, didn't seem right. I felt as though, oh no, I don't want to be stuck at home all day. Mm -hmm. 
But two years later, I thought, well, I wouldn't mind being stuck at home all day. <laughs> so that's right. exactly what I did. But I, as I say, I kept up the, the CRT work. Now, a lot of teachers hate going back to emergency teaching, but I'd have to say, and it's come as a pleasant surprise, I love it. It's re all care and no responsibility. I only go to the one school, which is a school I'd previously been at. The only downside is that I, they often ring you early in the morning. I get a phone call at about 6.30 to say, can you come in today? So so 7 o'clock. Yeah. Well, I'm up fairly early anyway. Right. The early bird, Henry. Yes. <laughs> the early bird. Um, and so I, but I can say no. I don't like to say no too often because then I fear the phone calls may cease. But I often say no if I've got something on, if I have things mm -hmm. to do. Right. Or I say yes and think, there you go. A pleasant day. As I say, all care and no responsibility. It avoids CRT work, all the things that most teachers hate. Yard duty, preparation, <laughs> correction, parent-teacher nights and reports. None of that. Meetings is the thing teachers most hate. Meetings. So I, I get into my car as I watch all the teachers trudging off to the meeting rooms and I think, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and you earn a dollar or two. To, and it's to, not bad money. Yeah, it's to quite do good stuff money. that you want to do. And I yeah. organise it so that I only earn enough to get under the tax threshold so I don't pay any tax perfect. for the year. And with the tax I pay, I get back. So Perfect. Yeah, so it's perfect. And see, so you're, you're leading up to retirement. The big day comes. Do you get a gold watch? No, I get a... Uh, an, an occasion. Uh, <laughs> an occasion. <laughs> uh, so, so lots invited, lots of people, and there were speeches and a presentation, and it wasn't a gold watch, but it was yep. some books that I'd carefully worded people that I wanted beforehand. <laughs> you did it on your terms. That's terrific. That is. I, well, in fact, I, I sort of did two. I did that early one, then decided I'd wanted to come back. So I got a present there, but then I went to another school and got another present. So. <laughs> but the first present I wasn't happy with, so the second time round I made it quite clear what I was after. Right. Don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> Is that a philosophy of yours in life? Sometimes, yes. Okay. And I think the older you get, you do get pushier and grumpier <laughs> because you care less what people think. Don't you find that, Henry? Grumpy, certainly grumpy, Yes. Was uh, Susan pleased to have you home? I think so. Well, she hadn't, my wife hadn't retired. Susan hadn't retired. Has she retired now? Yes, just, in just. fact, officially yesterday. Get out of town. Yesterday at five o'clock. Well, she's had all the holidays, but she was paid for all of that. Right. The uh, summer break holidays. But, in fact, officially at five o'clock, she retired yesterday. And already I've had a, an inkling of what it's like to have Susan <laughs> home all day. And I'm so only going we back have, to work full we're time. Here, we're, uh, we're here with a, a nearly retired and a newly retired in the one household. That's, we are. That's frightening. Yes. And Susan is at the stage now where she's making lists, lists oh of dear. things to be done. Oh dear, yes. I so I have to rush off fairly early in the morning. To... I know that story. Okay, so you've, you've worked, you've managed your own retirement. Yes. You've got superannuation, so yes. finances are... More okay, under, yes. under control. You can earn a little bit of money at your own whim. That's for, right. For extras that you want. I like to set a target for and head towards that with my running away from home money, I call it. <laughs> Terrific. And so 
before you retired, what did you expect that you were going to be doing? Well, I've always been a keen bird watcher, so I knew that bird watching would be, birding would be a, an important part of that. I'd also started, uh, this is, you know, the tragic old coot interest, isn't it? I'd also started looking at the family tree and got into genealogy a bit. It's tragically common in old coots, I know. Um, and so I, I do a bit of that if it's the weather's crook and I can fit in some time. I either do it at home or go to the library where I can get free access to a lot of the sites I'm too mean to pay for. Um, and but I find plenty of other things to do I go for, well, try and go for a walk every day right I catch up with people I, I, I suppose it's common sense a lot of my friends have retired too I have an elderly mother who I have to well I don't have to but I do try and see at least twice a week and uh, go and well, see you, her you did say when I can fit it in so it sounds as though you're busy well, I, I'm sort of busy, and I'm not bad at sitting around reading either, right. which is something I found very difficult in the beginning. I used to feel guilty if I, when I first retired, if I sat down and just started reading during the day. That seemed yes. like a naughty indulgence. Uh, naughty, but, yes. But now I've managed to to squash that, so, and I can even fit in a bit of a nanny nap in the <laughs> afternoon sometimes, have a read, and then I look at the time and I think, oh... Time for tea. It's time to have a drink. <laughs> Five o'clock already. Five o'clock. Tell us about uh, looking back at the family history. Have As you it, found any naughtiness in the family? Uh, well, in, in... it's very difficult because my cousin, who's a historian, was a an academic. He's an academic, or he's retired too. But he was, in fact, a he's a professor. And, but he's written a fantastic book. If I could give it a plug, it's called. Go for it. What is yes. it called? <laughs> what family is it matters. called? Uh, I've only read it a couple of times. Uh, but it's about mum's side of the family. So I've taken it on to research my father's side, about which I knew very little. Dad was an only child and he died. His father had died when Dad was only a few months old. Well, that was the family story. We always thought, my brother and I, that he must have been an illegitimate child. But right. I had to eat my my negative thoughts because I got a copy of his birth certificate. And in fact, he did die when he was my Dad was three months old. Okay appendicitis attack and so peritonitis, so there you go. So how do you go about even delving into all that stuff? Well, the internet, like, well, like everything, what a gift the internet is to birding, and not to birding, to genealogy. family history, genealogy, to everything. Right. So I just look at, there's a thousand and one sites that I've bookmarked and uh, you can look at Ancestry.com, which I had for quite a while, and get the bare bones, the births, deaths and marriages, but then you get other sites and you look up newspaper records or birth records or church records, everything. It's all there. Most of it's free. It's un unbelievable. Now, you've got a couple of kids. Yes. What do they think about you doing all this? Well, they're, um, they're indulgent. <laughs> no, I say they don't share the interests, so they both... Uh, uh, they read the fa they were given a copy of the, the family tree book and they did read it. But with the birding, they're very indulgent. I went out yesterday, for example, when I mm. came home, my son said, Oh, did you see your bird? In a way that indicated <laughs> he was being polite. <laughs> yes. And he says things like, Oh, what was the best bird you saw? Right. And I'll say, A uh, brown song like, say, and he'll go, oh, I've seen lots of them. <laughs> oh, there's some of them in the backyard this afternoon. 
Now, are you going to tell me the name of the book and who the author is? So that I can think, put well, the, the author so is... I can put in the show notes? Yes, Graham Davison. And I'm just trying to think of the title. It's the story of the Hewitts and its family... Graham with a H or an E? A E G R A E M Davison without a D, and it's family matters. Okay, I'll we'll get it up. In a we'll moment. get it later. So, are you finding that your memory is going? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's only a book I helped work on and uh, did lots of things for, and went on trips with Graham. I've read it twice, but the memory is uh, completely gone. So, it's a story. About your mother's side of family. Family, though, are Hewitts, H-E-W-E-T-T. But it's really, it makes it sound as though it would only be of interest to the family, but Graham links it in with various events, why they migrated and migration during the 1850s. They arrived just before the gold rush, but they were in Castlemaine. It was a widow with um, eight children who Gosh, came out right. on a boat. Yep. And they, a number of them met their future partners, girl, women and men. There were a, a group of women on the boat who are subsidised migrant called Distressed Needlewomen. It's a fantastic <laughs> title. And indeed, uh, one of my, my uh, great-great-great-grandfather married one of these Distressed Needlewomen. She became, uh, as two of the others did as well, one of the others did as well. So but it also links to the gold rush and then looks at Methodism in earlier. Some of them came from Wales and... You can't even imagine these days a single woman a single no. without a husband coming out here with eight oh, no, kids. And what, a, what a journey. I mean, why, see, we'll never know. It's one of the delights of, I suppose, and mysteries of family history. What motivated Graham was able to look up that they certainly, they were what were called yeoman farmers and they lost uh, the title of the, they didn't lose the title of the land, but there was uh, trouble with the maintaining a farm and with a large family. But why she chose to come to Australia, we'll probably never know. But she came out um, in 1850. Was it? Did she have something to come to, or was it no, just an adventure? No, she just no other family here. Lobbed in Australia. Lobbed in Australia. Lobbed in Port Phillip Bay, and funnily enough, they the eight of them then dispersed over Victoria. One went to Warrnambool, was a uh, butcher in Warrnambool, uh, Castlemaine. Longwood, which is near Euroa, they went to Euroa, there were millers there. Another group went down to uh, uh, near or in Gippsland. One of them died just out of Albury, he never married, he was uh, died the swaggy's death by campfire. <laughs> so so there was all of those, and they spread, they sort of remained in contact. One of them, Jane, never married, she died in the old colonist's home in, in Clifton Hill. Clifton Hill, and yeah. uh, Mum remembers going to see her. She lived to, they all lived to be a great age, the women particularly, mm. as they still do. My mother's over 100, so... Your mother? Yes. OK. Are you still in contact with any of the descendants? Well, a few of them, and we, because of the book and we had a launch, we've caught up there, and um, certainly I see a lot of my cousins. Well, we've got so, to talk about birding, as you mentioned. Yes. What is it? Well, it's... He, he's spreading his hands <laughs> in a typical gesture right at the moment. It's an obsession. Thinking. Right. Like a lot of things, I thinking now I, I may have developed OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, but you can, you be the judge of this. I shall. With my bird, I keep lists of birds that I've seen. Yes. So I keep a, 
life list, an Australian life list. I keep an international list for when I travel. I keep a house list, a year list, a Victoria list and a work list. Now, Henry, OCD? <laughs> Absolutely OCD. It's tragic, isn't it? It is a bit tragic. You, But you've just tipped over onto the dark side. I think I have. <laughs> right. And I... Um, and what's classed in birding, in some areas, is a twitcher. Though I'm happy to, and twitchers are people who actually do that keep lists and count the number of birds, there's bird species they've seen. Right. So and they have certain names. And I do twitch, I do keep a record of that. But I'm, I'm happy enough to, I go for walks down to the local park and I'm happy enough to sit and watch there, having no expectation of seeing a new bird. I, you know, I don't see too many new birds in Victoria anymore, so I have to... So I start my morning. I often begin the day by checking my emails and there's email sites where any new bird that's arrived is posted and on Facebook and there's also a couple of websites. So which is that the you... objective or was that a biggie to I've seen a new bird yes. or there is a new bird in, let's say, Victoria? That's right. That's right. Well, recently, for example, there's been two, well, there's been more than two, a couple of rarities Mega rarities, we call them. A couple mega of them. One of them was a Paradise Shell Duck, first time it's ever seen in Australia. I should have told Get you the clencher buttocks. <laughs> I should have said clencher buttocks before I said it. Uh, Paradise Shell Duck was found in a, uh, well, a lake, coastal lake, out of, well, west of Canberra. But, so birders from all over Australia were catching planes and driving overnight and whatever. But I just didn't have an opportunity to get up there. I was going to go up and say with some friends in camp and drive over, but it's gone. They think it may have been eaten by a fox. <laughs> so my chance and of how seeing many of them was there? Just the one. 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 <laughs> yes, just the one. Looking all right. So if I press the button there. Well, listeners, if this sounds a bit different from how it was before, that's because we've had an adventure in between time. The machine stopped. The recorder stopped. And so I did the only reasonable thing. I panicked. Philip settled me down and Susan gave us lunch in, the, in between time. So where were we, Philip? We were just starting on the joys of bird watching. But before we do that, if I could just mention <laughs> yeah. the name of the book. The My name family's of the... Lost Relations by Graham Davison. I'm sure you can put the details... Uh, in the show notes. In the show notes. Lost yeah. Relations. Highly recommended, not just for genealogists, but historians and etc. Okay, let's just get back to birding, shall we? Oh, all the right. joys of birding. Very well. Now, you mentioned that you're a twitcher. Yes. Tell me how that works. What do twitchers do? Well, it's a it's really just someone who the word came I think, people who saw a new species and got terribly excited and started twitching, I'm embarrassed to say. Oh. I don't do that, but it is exciting seeing a new bird, and particularly when you've gone a lot to a lot of effort to find it. If you've travelled a long way, if you've waited a long time, we went over to out of Perth or Western Australia to look for a Western whipbird. It probably took us I don't know, sixteen, eighteen or more hours to find one so over several were, days. You were sitting somewhere. Out in the cold and the wind. And yes, we were. We were in right. Heathland. They're birds that call about once every 20 minutes. 
and so you'd have to wait and then hone them down. They're very secretive, but we finally saw them. So how do you know it was that one calling? Have you got the calls in your head? Yes, you study the calls beforehand, Okay. and you can get um, apps for your phone by some of the uh, bird guides that have not only pictures and photographs, distribution maps, uh, but also have the calls, so you can check them up beforehand. Some birds respond to calls. It's called playback, and you can uh, <laughs> play a call, and they'll come in. Some right. bird watchers don't like to do that because they think it disturbs the birds, and we we is don't that, do playback very bit, often. A bit unethical. Bit some naughty, do. Naughty, it's yeah. one of the the grey areas in birding. Right. We certainly don't use playback around nesting birds or birds that are courting because it sort of throws them out a bit. And a lot of birds don't respond to playback anyway, so we don't use it very much, but we do occasionally. Western whipbirds didn't seem to respond at all, so... <laughs> right. We so wouldn't. if you... Uh... And so you keep lists and you keep records, as okay. I said. But you can also get great delight, as I've mentioned, in just watching birds in your backyard. And that's where most birders begin. So would your typical birder have been keeping budgies? Quite frequently. Yeah. I know a number of birders who had big uh, collections of aviary birds and then moved on to... Uh, so someone who, let's say someone's uh, retiring mm. and they've been keeping a few birds in the backyard and they yes. think, oh, I really enjoy this and I want to get into it. Yep. What, how would they enter the, their interest? Well, you yeah. end up knowing your, your local area, parks and gardens and rivers and creeks and people... Almost invariably, people who are birders are people who are interested in the environment. Okay. They're people who like to go into the bush, if not into the wild, certainly into local parks and gardens and reserves. And they start off by just enjoying that, and then they focus more and more on the birds. A lot of birders have other interests as well, you know, orchids or botany oh, okay. or whatever. Yeah. So how do you... All right, and, I'm, I'm out the beginning, yeah. let's say you just... Notice in your backyard that there's a couple of birds you don't know or there's a bird that comes every day. Often people start to feed the birds or have a bird bath and then you you want to know what they are. That's how it starts. Okay. So if you're starting for a beginner, you really do need a bird guide. You can get one for your phone. Right. Pizzy and, and you can put these in your your notes, but there's there's any number of them. In books. In books. Uh, and you can, Pizzy and Knight is a good one, Pizzy or Knight, yeah. Slater, um, Morecambe. The, Australia's blessed with some excellent guides. Yep. You can pick them up on eBay secondhand. Yep. So you and then a... you can get them on the same ones, a number of apps you, know, you can get as an app on your phone. You do have to pay for them. But you can also get apps of common birds, Australian birds, for free as a free app. Okay. Good way to start. And you probably need to get fairly soon a pair of binoculars, which can be... How much money? Very expensive. Very expensive. Very expensive <laughs> indeed. Or? Or much cheaper. And again, there's websites that'll tell you good good binoculars <laughs> to get, what to get, but you can get a pair for $150 or less. $150, $120, bucks, something, yep, something that like region. that. And that'll Even be satisfactory for Perfectly, a, a if you're starter. just starting out. So what's the difference between... Your good binoculars and your really, really good binoculars. Oh, well, there's magnification mm -hmm. and there's field of vision. Good yeah. binoculars let in more light. They have much greater clarity. And so, and different people that you can look up uh, sites that talk about the magnification. Most um, birders have 8x42s or okay. 
10 by 42. There, there's some people have really expensive. They well, do indeed. in my terms, expensive, but I suppose if this is your hobby... That's right. Well, you start off, my binoculars were rather expensive. That was one of the reasons why I was, um, my current ones, one of the reasons why I was working. I was uh, saving up. I like to, if I'm working as, um, when I say working, working part-time, part-time. emergency mm-hmm. teaching, yeah. I like to set a goal. Yep. So it's either an apartment in New York, as one of my goals was, <laughs> right? Um, or my binoculars, and they were $3,000. But I certainly wouldn't recommend people starting off with no. Zawowski's or Zeiss or Leica, the top brands, but you can get some very good pairs. Try getting a pair secondhand. Yes. Uh, yeah. eBay. So here I am. I'm interested in yes. pursuing a bird-watching interest. Yes. I get myself a field guide. Yep. I might get a, some apps on my phone. Yep. I have a bit of a study of that. Do I need yep. uh, exactly? And you yeah. start noting which birds are, are there. You'll Around. notice as time goes on that they vary from season to season. Yeah. Different birds in different habitats. You start off in your backyard, and then you start working out which birds are natives, which ones are introduced, males from females, and it all starts as your goes knowledge grows. It does go on and on. <laughs> it goes on and on, and it's. Endlessly fascinating, <laughs> as I can tell from your face, Henry. <laughs> I might so, get into this. I You're think you will. I can, <laughs> I'm seeing a spark of, I think there's a bit of murder in you. Recognition. I think there is. And so that's how it starts. You will end up, I mean, good news you'll need if you get too obsessive. You'll need a telescope, which are much more expensive, but I certainly wouldn't recommend that at the beginning. There are websites for beginners. Yeah. Join a society like um, Birds Australia. They have excursions for beginners and um, there's books and all sorts of information. The web is an absolute fund. There's several Facebook sites of Bird ID where you can post pictures and people will if you just, tell you what they were. If you Google it, I guess you'd find them. That's exactly right. Yeah. You can yeah. Google all of those. The yeah. birding world, like almost every other world, is very web-friendly. Savvy. Yeah. Very web-savvy. It seems to me that you're going to be spending a lot of time outdoors. Yes, so that'll be an attraction. Be an attraction it is for me. It's a focus for a walk. You see, I, yes. I, I go for, try to go for a walk every day. Mm-hmm. So now I usually take my spotters and my binoculars and see if I can see and, something. And away you go. So a lot of, and a lot of other people who are birders, fishermen, for example, are often good birders because they spend time sitting quietly. Yes. Good way of finding a bird. Finding a bird. You see, I know that in the past, you and three friends have gotten away in a car and yep. gone long way away. Yep. And I assumed that it was just some mates going out in the country to drink and get away from their everyday responsibilities. Well, that's true too. Right. But you can make birds as the justification <laughs> for that. So I'm lucky that I have a group of friends I go birding with and we try and do a big trip every year to, well, we've been to Cape York and Western Australia, Perth and, uh, well, not so much Perth, but certainly the... Uh, Southwest Tip, been up to Darwin a couple of times, Cairns, to Air Peninsula, most notably to uh, Alice Springs or west of Alice Springs, 600, right. 800k west of Alice Springs. Looking What's for there? The, There's nothing there. Uh, absolutely nothing there except <laughs> one of the rarest and most beautiful birds in Australia, oh. the Princess Parrot, which we were lucky enough to find after much drama. We were well out of a, a little Aboriginal settlement called Kirikurra, Right. which I was delighted to read is the most isolated community in Australia. At about 200 k's from there, a place called Jupiter Well, or near there we found these parrots. We were extremely lucky. We found a flock of 30-odd. Gracious me. 
Yeah. We were beside ourselves with excitement, Henry. <laughs> I, I almost but not quite twitched. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. So that's, that's a, a, at one end, the vaguely yeah. obsessive end. But it's also wherever you go, you know, you can have a lovely holiday in the Gold Coast or yeah. Port Douglas or wherever, and you can find a few a few hours to go out birding or you can just sit on the beach and see what birds you can see because wherever you go you'll find different birds you can do so a bit of research beforehand yeah so you can be doing that and your partner can be doing something else like exactly. shopping like shopping, shopping indeed yes. so wherever we go we try and fit in I try and fit in a day or half a day's birding while right. Susan does something else and then now listeners if this all sounds a bit fanatical is this fanatical Philip? Would you call yourself a fanatic? Uh, bordering on a fanatic, Bordering yes. on a fanatic. Well, yes, well, I am a fanatic. But you don't have to get into it. And I do have other interests. You know, there's <laughs> the genealogy. I try and see a movie every week. Well, I was going to say that uh, Philip has had some health issues just recently, fairly serious health issues. And in the middle of these health issues, he asked Susan to drive him four hours to go and have a look at a bird. What, well, did I, you didn't say actually, the... I didn't put it that way. No. <laughs> When I said to Susan, Susan yeah. oh, look, I'm feeling a bit better. Let's have a little break. Right. Portland, Port Ferry, that's a lovely area. Let's it go is. down there. And then when we got there, I confessed that there was a, a rare bird that I was after, the Cape Gannet. Right. There's a pair of them from, they come from, they're found in South Africa, but these had somehow flown the Atlantic and... And there they were. Is it the Atlantic it, that flown or the Indian? Anyway, they'd come over. From a very long way. From the yeah. long way. And there they were with the, you know, another colony of Australasian gannets. So you did see them? I did see them. It was a very, what I'd call a fairly unpleasant twitch in that it was oh, no. difficult conditions, very windy, mm -hmm. difficult to identify. The birds are, are differentiated by a long streak down the throat. But as when they're roosting, their heads are under their wings most of the time. <laughs> You can't see that. You have to rely on them to have a bit of a stretch as they do every now and then. Right. There's other differences too, but after many unpleasant hours looking through the scope through a wire fence, because the rookery is fenced off quite rightly, um, one bird that dead had been looking different, so I'd been keeping an eye on it, finally lifted its head up and I saw the streak. And then I was off home, or back <laughs> off to the, the so motel. Was it, was it worth it? I mean, this, well, you've got eight yes. hours of travel, you've got motel, you've got... Yes, Susan. but we also had a nice time in, oh, okay. That's all in right, Port. Right. It's a lovely part of the world. Yes, okay. And so we enjoy that too. It's one of the joys of birding. You get to go to gorgeous places. I imagine there'd be There's people... fabulous birding around Alice Springs and it's the most wonderful town. It just so it's really taking you all around Australia? All around Australia. I've just got part of the Kimberley to get done and I'm hoping to do that next year or the year after. Are there's there still birds... There's a few ticks up there. Yes, yeah, there's still birds which may or may not be in Australia which you have not sighted? Oh, yes, quite a few. Oh, lots. Because a lot of the places I go to, you don't end up getting them all. So I've, at the moment, I'm mopping up. I'll have to go back to Cape York. To, I've got about four that I missed there. And there's one here and one there. and yeah. So it just provides a focus. Why, why don't you just... Well, I don't want to say lie. Why don't you just make believe? Does that go on in your... In your not in really. Your well, no. The, you, you have your doubts. And people who... Some, there's a special word that's in birding circles called a stringer. They're right. people who don't really lie, but they're very keen to, yes, I think I saw the, the black stripe or the this or that, or that looks like it. No, I'm pretty sure they're very keen to find the bird. Right. But birders who lie usually get caught out at some stage. Yeah. 
And not that many do that, because, Henry, is there any there's, satisfaction? There's no point, I can there? say, mm. oh, I've seen a, uh, what's one bird I'm still after, a, a black bittern. Oh, there's a black bittern, but is that satisfying? No. Not if you haven't really seen it. No, not if you haven't really seen it at all. That's it. So are you saying it is competitive or it is not competitive? Well, there are lists on the net of birders' totals. All right. So there's so there's lists, and I suppose there is comp there is a competitive nature, the nature of birders, and there's a uh, people do publish their totals and try and get more and more. But generally, I find birders are very cooperative, always willing to help a beginner and point out things. And okay. mostly, ninety percent of birders, they pass on their information. I always do research before my trips and email people. So you go knowing what you're looking for. Yes, and where to find it often nowadays, because yeah. all that information is readily available. People publish their trip reports, and so you can find out what they've seen, and if you want more information, you can email them, and they generally are more than happy to help. Okay. So it's a, it's a good interest that you can work on many levels. You know, top birders often spend a fortune on A, their equipment, but B, and B, their travelling. Yeah. But also on guides and trips... There are trips to the Cocos Islands and Christmas Islands and Ashmore Reef, for example, where you get quite uh, rare birds, but they're very expensive. They're t you know thousands of dollars. But you don't have to do that. You can go down to your local park and keep a, a list there, or mm -hmm. just watch what the birds are doing and seeing if they're nesting or moving on or fighting or See, whatever. Like you, they could have many lists. They could do it. <laughs> People that are watching, they're going oh. That man's back again. I don't like the look of him. <laughs> Skulking around in the Skulking local around park. Skulking around, that's yes. right. Okay. You've always, so, just a word of warning, you've always got to be careful of using your binoculars near schools too. It's yes. not a good look. I some can imagine. Around here there's a school that's famous for, it's, it's got some lovely gum trees that frequently have um, scaly-breasted parrots in them, but you just simply can't. You've got to wait for the holidays to go looking Before for them. Before you can look, yeah. So you're birding. Yes. You're outdoors in the fresh air. Yes. You might be a... Uh, you may have another interest, which would be fishing. Yep. Or orchids, as you say. Or walking. But, or walking. Or photography. I yep. imagine photography is big. Huge in, huge in birding. And many yep. birders are photographers. And again, the equipment can vary. But a lot of people start off, they've already got a, a camera that's got a, a reasonable lens. And they can yep. just start off by photographing common birds, getting a portfolio of good photographs of the birds of their their suburb or their house or yeah. whatever. Typically, how far away from a bird are... I know it's an impo you know, impossible question, but are we looking at something 100 metres away? Are we looking at something... It can 20? be. When you're using a telescope, you know, they can be quite distant yeah. and you can still get good looks. But And it depends on your equipment, but usually you can get reasonable views with binoculars of birds... 20 feet away or 10, 10 feet away. Some people have problems because their binoculars don't focus close enough. You know, if it's only <laughs> binoculars are, have in their specifications how close. Yes. So six feet's usually about the... <laughs> you probably wouldn't need them if it's only six feet away. No. In a cage. In a cage, certainly <laughs> not. Cage. Right. So when we look at your interests... Yes. They are... Genealogy. Yes. Birding. We've done a lot of travelling. 
lot of travelling. Friends, because you've travelled with friends and, and, uh, and yes, so on. Yes, and, and bird with friends. Go to the movies with friends. Go to the movies. We're keen on, both Susan and I are keen on art, so we love to go to art galleries wherever we go. It's a full life. It's a very busy life. So but I was determined when I was retired, there was one thing I would never, ever say, and I haven't, but I'm going to say it now. <gasps> but I think it's something to be avoided. Never say to people, particularly if they're working, I don't know how I ever fitted work in before I retired. It's an extremely irritating <laughs> saying. But good, isn't it? It's yeah. true, <laughs> but I don't think it needs to be said. So for someone who's coming up to retirement and is a bit nervous yes. about retiring, and yes. will I or won't I, what, give us some advice. Well, I think go for it. If you've got doubts, if it's an option, do it. I didn't try and get part-time work, casual work, phase it out. Phase See it. how you go. Yeah. But I think you'll find that the days are filled fairly profitably. And I think you probably need to start some interests or activities and see if you enjoy them. If you haven't, most people have interests already. Yes. Yeah, and work right. on those. See if you can extend them or expand them. Start planning trips and looking at places to go and things to do. I don't think just retiring and saying, oh, well filling my days doing something you need yeah. to I think you do need to think ahead the other thing I haven't mentioned I'm a very keen gardener so that takes up time too yeah no Just wonder you're busy all the, all and the time <laughs> and my wife has lists as I say <laughs> lists <laughs> lists of things to be done that's a good a good spot to uh, wind up okay Philip thank you very much thank you Henry and uh You've given us some excellent advice. Okay, I hope it's been useful. <laughs> it certainly has. Thank you. Thanks again. Okay, well, as you can tell, we had a lot of fun putting together this podcast. Philip is a naturally happy kind of a person, and uh, it rubbed off on me, <laughs> as you heard. Now, what are the takeaways from this podcast? Well, it's these things. He, obviously, he was able to retire on his own terms, he was able to go on and earn little bits and pieces of money after he had retired, which was terrific, really, because he was able to buy those few things that he wanted just to round out his hobbies. And they were great hobbies, and they really complemented each other, didn't they? He had an indoor hobby and an outdoor hobby. He's been a bird watcher or a birder, twitcher, for a, a long time. And uh, since he retired, he's been able to um, expand that interest and get to lots more places. And bird watching, I, th I think, is a fantastic thing. If you're at all interested in birds, formalising it almost into uh, uh, being a twitcher or a bird watcher is terrific because it allows you to get it out and about and, importantly, be part of a community. As we're going along through these podcasts, you're going to become to appreciate even more that being part of a community is what keeps people happy. Being part of a community is what keeps people healthy. And being part of a community uh, is really, really, really important to your well-being as you're getting older uh, after retirement. Now, you might say his hobbies were obsessions, and they were obsessions. You'd only have to see his face to, to understand that, and you could hear it in his voice. They were obsessions. So... Financially, he's got his superannuation, as we call here in Australia, or pension going on for him. Uh, so that wasn't an issue. And he was able to, as I said, to earn a few bits extra to round out 
the various trips and whatnot that he wanted to make. Let me know what you think about Philip. He's a, a naturally happy-go-lucky person. He really spreads that amongst the people who he's in contact with, and that's great. I, I think he's a, a great, great character. So let me know what you thought about the podcast, what you think about genealogy, what you think about bird watching. Um, you can leave comments on the site as always or contact me directly through henry at retiredexcited.com. I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye now. I want to get that up for sure. I'm in That's terrific. That was interesting. What a good idea. Oh, wait, I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August... Actually, August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app, 
and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.